Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today, we're continuing our devotional study series in the book of Psalms. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Odium and Church Crookham. And we'd love for you to join us over there. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's uh, good to be back with you. Uh, even though I can't see you, it's still good to uh, have you with me as we carry on through our devotionals in the Psalms. Now, I- I've really enjoyed going through the Psalms the last few weeks. And there's one particular Psalm, which I've been wanting to get to, but like I never really felt like I could give it its full uh, expression in, in this short time. So I'm going to attempt it today. I'm going to attempt to uh, give a devotional on uh, not only my favourite psalm, but uh, what I think I could confidently call God's favourite psalm. Uh, So I'm in good company. And the reason I say that is because Psalm 110, is what we're going to look at today, is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Uh, In fact, it's the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament by quite a long way. The second most quoted passage is quoted five times. This passage is quoted 23 times. So this is a really big deal. And so as I read through it, you might already start to see how uh, New Testament based this psalm is. But at the same time, there are a number of phrases in here which seem quite confusing and and might need some clarification. So uh, as we go through it this morning, I hope we really find there is some real practical encouragement in this psalm. So we're in Psalm 110. It says this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So this psalm is kind of giving this amazing picture of one who is being told by the Lord to take a seat at his right hand. And from there, the Lord promises that he will subdue all his enemies. And as he does that, he becomes a priest. And as part of that, those two roles together, now he he pours out judgment on the world. Now, of course, we we can't apply this to David. In fact, David himself clearly doesn't apply this to David because David is looking up and he's saying the Lord, which is God. You know, the actual word there in Hebrew is Yahweh. So Yahweh says to my Lord, So who's David's Lord? Well, it has to be the Messiah. That's what it says in the New Testament. Jesus quotes this psalm and says the Messiah is David's Lord, yet David's son. And so what we have here is God talking to Jesus. This is at the end of Jesus's ministry. Uh, Jesus has now ascended into heaven and he says uh, to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And something I really want us to focus on this morning is the ascension of Jesus and why we have it. Because I think we often, we, we know that it's there. We know that it's part of the gospel story. That's why that Jesus isn't on the earth anymore, because he was ascended into heaven. But I think often, and, and theologians like John Owen have really, have really made a, a big deal of this, 
we often miss how much of a comfort it is, how much uh, goodness there is for us in the fact that Jesus has ascended into heaven. And certainly the book of Hebrews sees that. And in fact, the book of Hebrews quotes this psalm a number of times in order to make it really clear that it's a good thing for us that Jesus has now ascended into heaven. It affects us daily. So let's see why. Well, the first thing we see is that Jesus is now sat at the right hand of God and from there he is defeating his enemies. It says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Until I make your enemies your footstool. So the first thing that we're, we're told is that now Jesus has sat down at the, at the right hand of God. Now we know his enemies are going to be defeated and are being defeated. It doesn't say, sit at my right hand, you know, and one day your enemies will be your footstool. No, it says, sit at my right hand until they are. So the work begins now. Even now, Jesus is sat on the throne defeating his enemies. In fact, we're told that Jesus is given power to do this. You know, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. This is the charge that Jesus is now given. Rule in the midst of your enemies. You have power. And in fact, we are here in verse 3. We are then described as people who want to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, that we offer ourselves freely in light of what he's done, in light of who he is. We see the same kind of thing in Revelation, that the people of God are worshipping the Lamb, calling themselves his. So it says the people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. That's kind of really a, I think a really, uh, a real charge for us. You know, if, if, we, if Jesus is my Lord, if Jesus is my King, then I want to offer myself freely to him, to the one who is sat on the throne. But then this is where I think it gets really practical. This is where it really becomes a, I need this to be true kind of thing. In verse four, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. This is God talking to Jesus. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. To give some clarification, Melchizedek is a character who kind of appears out of nowhere in Genesis with the story of Abraham. And he is the priest king of a city called Salem, which would one day become Jerusalem. So you have here a priest king, someone who's simultaneously a king and a priest, and he blesses Abraham and Abraham pays tithes to him. Now, the, the, the other thing is, is he kind of just appears. He's, he's said to be a priest king serving God and he worships God, but then he kind of disappears and he's kind of this mysterious figure. But also, I mean, significant is that he is where in Jerusalem, he's in the holy city of God or what would one day be the holy city of God. Now, obviously, Abraham doesn't know that, but certainly later on in, in history, you know, David, when he is the king in Jerusalem, you know, when he is the, the one who God has made a promise to that he will raise up a king, he's he could look back and think, wow, my forefather Abraham met this priest king in uh, in Jerusalem, here in Jerusalem. But the other thing to note is that Melchizedek wasn't one of the Levitical priests. He wasn't one of the priests in, in Israel with the ceremonial system. He didn't have to follow those regulations. And so what's, what's being told is that Jesus is our priest. He's not a Levitical priest. He's not going to be in the in the temple. Uh, he doesn't have to atone for his own sin. He doesn't have to take all the different uh, precautions that they did. He doesn't. He doesn't have to be born of, of someone in uh, someone from the tribe of Levi. 
He is the Melchizedekian priest. He is the priest king. And, and we are told that he is a priest forever. Now, what does that mean for us? That means that Jesus ascended into heaven to intercede for me. Jesus ascended into heaven to become a priest for you. Jesus is in heaven, standing ever before the Father, pleading our case. I think that is so profound. There is not a day that goes by. Don't think of salvation as, as this. Jesus died on the cross and now he could go on holiday somewhere and doesn't have to think about me. The cross was the beginning of your redemption. And now every single day the Lord is, is interceding for you. Now, I, I always, and the Bible doesn't describe what this looks like, particularly in depth, but I, I've always kind of thought of this intercession. Obviously, Jesus doesn't need to persuade the Father. The Father knows. The Father, in fact, the Father and Jesus are one. So, it, you know, the Father knows everything that Jesus knows. So we shouldn't think of it as though the Father is, you know, wanting to smite us and Jesus is saying, no, no, please don't. But I do think there is a sense in which it talks about Jesus standing before the Father and, and it talks about his wounds. And I've always had this idea that, you know, the intercession is simply looking at the wounds where he was pierced for us, where he says, their sins have been paid for. Look at my wounds because his wounds are ever present and they are an ever present reminder that our sins have been paid for. That's what Jesus is doing for us. But the other thing is when the priests were in the temple, Hebrews talks about this, they could never take a seat because their work was never done. Once they've sacrificed an animal and paid for the sins of the people, uh, they would have to then sacrifice an animal. They always had to do another one. Their work was never done. But we're told at the beginning here that Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father. He has achieved his finished task. And now that he's achieved that, that means our salvation is secure. He is our eternal priest. He has paid the eternal sacrifice and now he eternally intercedes for us. It's very profound indeed. And as we carry on through this psalm, we then see the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. Now, this is quite uh, morbid language. Fair enough, it might make us a bit uncomfortable. But the, the image that's being put here is that Jesus has won. And now, if you think of it like D-Day and V-Day, Jesus has had his D-Day. Jesus has, the, the victory is certain. When he sat down at the Father's side, that was uh, his uh, assured victory there. But now Jesus is on the cleanup job. Now Jesus is storming through the beaches of Normandy, eventually working his way through. And one day, because of this, we know our V-Day is assured. Jesus has won the war. And so we shouldn't be put off by these morbid images because it's simply saying Jesus is defeating his enemies. Jesus will win. And the, the amazing thing is that we, as we see in verse 3, are able to take part in that because we are the people who have been bought by the priest. We are the people who, is being, who are being interceded for by the priest. The ascension of Jesus is not something that we should think of as a mere historical event. It's good to know that it happened and it's good to affirm that it happened, but we shouldn't think of it as just something that happened. The ascension of Jesus means that for us now, Jesus is king everywhere. He isn't located in one place. He is interceding for us in heaven, in the true temple. And he is working, as I say, he's working his plan from there. He's defeating his enemies from there. So when the angels 
and uh, all the heavenly hosts applauded as Jesus came into the throne room. As the father said to him, well done, sit at my right hand, take a seat. So too we should join in that triumph. Lord Jesus, take your seat. Sit at the father's right hand. If you think about when Stephen was killed in Acts, he says, I saw into the heavens and saw the son of man sat at the right hand. And that was his dying hope. As he died, he knew that he was going to the son of man sat at the right hand of the father. And that is our hope too. Jesus is at the right hand of the father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is sat at your right hand, but we thank you that his work is finished and yet he intercedes for us every day. Lord, we thank you that one day we know that he will end his cleanup operation. Lord, one day we know that V-Day will be here and you are presently defeating your enemies. You are presently turning them into your footstool. So Lord, we pray that you would uh, Give us this hope and energy in our hearts that Jesus has ascended, that Jesus is interceding for us. Give us that hope, we pray, Lord. Amen.